Man, it is good to see you. Thank you for being here. The sun is out and you're inside. But we can see the sun through the yellow windows. They're getting replaced in February. Chain, whatever that thing is, chain supply, supply chain, excuses for not doing things on time, whatever that is. Couple things. Uh, I want to reinforce February 26, 5 o'clock. My heart is that we can do one big gathering family dinner together. We have moved the date away from anything that, like football games, like who cares about those that might get in the way. It's not Super Bowl Sunday or NFC Championship or anything like that. So it's not like President's Day weekend. We're trying to find a night that was like, you guys can be there. So we invite you to come and be a part of that. Second thing I want you to know about in a few weeks, February 5th and 12th, my good buddy Dave Lomas from uh, Reality San Francisco, who I did some ministry with, is coming for a couple of Sundays and even midweek. Um, in 2019, we did a series right in the heart of the Castro District in San Francisco around God and sexuality. And it was a really, really important series that we did to a lot of young people, to 2,000 young people who came to our church. And I asked Dave to come and do it with us and for us. So um, we're calling it kind of a residency where he's going to teach on the, the 5th and do like a midweek talk as well. And then another talk on the 12th that I think you will be challenged. You will love. It is biblically, biblically, biblically sound and relevant. There's no kind of like fought for space, kind of like the sexuality space in our world today. So even if for you, you're like, no, I, I already understand all that. I invite you to come because it's an important, significant thing. So that's February 5th and 12th. And at the end of the month, we have our all church vision and prayer night. So some big things coming up um, in February. Okay. Does that make sense? All right. There's a couple of instances in God's word and God's story where people get to see firsthand what's happening in heaven, what's happening around the throne of God. The first time we see this most likely is about 2,700 years ago. Isaiah gets pulled up. And he gets an image of what's happening around the throne. He writes this, In the year that King Uzziah died, which gives a reference points historically, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, and each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord. God Almighty, holy, holy, holy. At the end of what we call God's story, end of Scripture and Revelation, John is pulled up as well. It's like the, the door of heaven was opened up, and he's like, let me show you what's happening. I'm not sure if John was just shown more of the throne room or it was like some more things were happening. The Bible doesn't necessarily say, but John expands 
So picture this, if you will. The door of heaven has been opened up. He writes this. Therefore, before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there is what looked like to be a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they, were covered, they covered their eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. And the second one was like an ox. And the third had the face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle, and each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. And even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying the same exact song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders would fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So when we say we now have two services starting at 9 and 11, it's a time for us to gather. But when we gather, we're just joining the worship that has been taking place in heaven all day long for thousands of years. We're participating. We're joining in. It's like we're trying to get on the merry-go-round as a kid when it's spinning. It's like now, now, now. And sometimes we say 9 and 11, so we slow down the merry-go-round a little bit so you can jump on. And sometimes it's really fast, but God's like, get on, let's go, let's go. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. This morning I want to take a few moments and talk about something. I want to talk about why we sing. Not what we sing, not how we sing, not whether you're good at singing. It's not really about the you or the me, but it's why we sing. What's interesting about Scripture is that I can't find a place where angels are actually singing. They might be singing, but they're often they're talking or chanting. No, we're not going to start chanting. You're like, what's going on today? No. But there's this praise and glory, and I think we need to stop for a moment and pause. Because I can't remember a time ever, ever, ever going to church where we didn't sing. I grew up at church. I've been to churches around the world. And I think we just assume a lot of times this is why we sing, or we've created storylines in our own head. And you may know so much more about this than me. I'm guessing you do. This is not comprehensive. This is not all-encompassing. But for a few moments, this day, 
when we're together, I just want to talk about why we sing. Father, we join the worship going on in heaven right now, and we say, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. May we be one as you and your son are one. Jesus, as you prayed, as you said, may our people be one as you and I are one, Father. Help us to be a place that sings. Amen. I sang, I sing a lot, sometimes mid-sermon, so be prepared for that. <laughs> I sang a lot with my daughter while she was growing up. And there's something interesting that happens, right? When you have kids, you start singing songs that you don't normally sing. I tried to get her to sing You Too with me, but she just really wouldn't have it. I'm like, come on, it's a beautiful day. And she's like, I want Elmo. And I'm like, well... So we would sing Elmo. But there was this song that we would sing a lot. She had like a Disney mixtape. If you're under the age of something, you don't even know maybe what a mixtape is. We couldn't buy collections, so we would record things on this tape. And so I made it of all these different Disney songs. And there was this one Disney cartoon or movie, uh, Aladdin. And there was a duet when they're on the magic carpet and it starts with the man singing. Well, Anne and I would drive a lot in our car together. She would be in the back because that's where it was safer, I guess. And then I was in the front. Sometimes Lisa was with us. And whenever the song came on, my daughter would be like, let's sing a duet. You know, and I had to start. So we would sing this duet a lot as we would drive around. But it was just me and her. So I'm like, what do I got to lose? You know, I can show you the world. See, there you go. Whatever. And then she would come in, and then there's this part where you come together, and you're like, a whole new world. And my daughter's just belting it, and she's like, louder, Dad. There was this another guy in my life. His name was Kevin. I coached him in football. He also became a football coach with me, and we spent a lot of time together. My daughter and I had a singing relationship. Kevin and I did not have a singing relationship. One day, Kevin was in the car with my daughter and I. And my daughter's like, let's listen to the Disney tape. And, my, and Kevin was like, sure, whatever, like the Disney tape. Little did I realize the duet was coming. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's, it, it's there. And my daughter's like, are you ready, Dad? And I'm like... No, we don't sing duets with friends in the car, which made no sense to a three-year-old. She's like, I'm sure Kevin will want to sing with us, Dad. And he's like, I ain't singing. <laughs> so the, the music starts, and it's the male part, and I don't really sing it like I normally do because I'm like, Kevin's here, and we don't have a singing relationship. So I may have been like, I can show you the world. And Anna goes, push pause, do it again. Just gives you insight into my life as father of this daughter. And people are like, you only had one? I'm like, I only needed one. So I looked at Kevin, and I'm like, okay. So I started over, and she goes, you know what? Dad, you sing your part. I'll sing my part. I'm sure Kevin will want to come in on the chorus. <laughs> Kevin's like, I don't know the chorus. And I'm like, you're going to sing the chorus, or you're fired, brother. 
I don't care if you're my defensive coordinator. I'll just do without you. Kevin came in on the chorus. It was amazing. And my daughter was like, you see, Dad, I told you when we sing together, life's just better. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> but what was the point? It actually was a pretty fun thing to think about. Singing wasn't the point. You know what the point was? It was a shared experience. I had lunch with Kevin last week. This was like 20 years ago. I go, do you remember that time in my car? You go, well, you made me sing. I'm like, yeah. He's like, that was all right. <laughs> There's something about sharing an experience together. For thousands of years, the people of God have responded back to God in song. It's been the norm. There are times of shared experiences. As the Ark of the Covenant, which has some of the most sacred things, was coming back into Jerusalem, David talked about it in Psalm 96 about how to respond. And he said, sing to the Lord a new song. Let's sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. When the Israelites were able to escape Egypt and they had made it across the Red Sea and the Red Sea then engulfed those who were pursuing them, they stopped. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him and my father's God and I will exalt him, a million people singing this song that was brand new together. King David's best friend Jonathan had been killed not long after his father Saul, who David was going to take over the kingdom from, had died. So David writes a lament for all the people. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jashar, and it goes like this, A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. After a series of evil kings that had followed David and Solomon, evil, 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 some good, mostly evil, there was a king named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah said, it's time that we come together back in the temple. And so as a part of redeeming the temple, as a part of sanctifying the space, he creates this service that's wrapped around music, that's wrapped around singing together. He says, Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar and as the offering began, singing to the Lord began also. Accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel, the whole assembly bowed in worship while the musicians played. And all this continued until the sacrifice of the burnt offering was completed. And when the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down in worship. And King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises 
with gladness and bow down in worship. There is a deep, deep, rich history of God's people together singing together his praises. Some of these songs were brand new. I don't know how they went. I don't even know how Moses taught that many people a brand new song. Some of them were old, songs that they already had known. They were combining them together. They were responding of praise. They were responding of lament. But in each of these events, there's a group response. They all sung together. There's something about that. There's something about that, I think, even more today. This is a stat that I uh, looked up this week. It's still hard for me to believe this stat. Did you know in 2007, the average person, whoever that is, raise your hand if you're the average person. Okay. The average person sees up to 5,000 ads a day. That seems impossible. You can Google it. But just be ready, you're going to see like 100 more ads as you do it. I'm guessing it's like every single ad possible. I don't know. Today, that number is even higher. In our Western society, there are many people who see up to, once again, I don't even know how this is possible, 10,000 ads a day. That seems numbing. I don't know if they're looking at the Safeway ad and counting each, each thing as one, so... I'm a little addicted to the Safeway ad. I'm like, I can get like really bad meat for $1.99 a pound. I'm in. But the result is that this pulls us individually to something. I mean, ads aren't targeted to like, hey, you and your friends all need this. No, it's you need this. You need to eat this. You need to not eat this. You need to look like this. This pull towards what's going to make you better. So in a sense, there's something about coming together as a group. There's times an ad might hit me and I'm like, Lisa, what do you think? You think this is going to make my life better? And she'd be like, ah, when she hesitates, I'm like, that means no. Right? So there's something about when we have an inner draw together, this is how I'm feeling. God says, go to other people. What do you think about this? What am I drawn to? What are you joining other people in? So in a day and age when we are seeing X amount of thousands of ads targeting us, how important might it be that we join others in declaring something else? There's something about a group coming together. Theologian Walter Brueggemann writes this, the Christian practice of singing together is a counter-cultural act. It marks the Christian community as different than the unforgiving, fractured culture around it. This culture, this empire, this place where we live, know that people who can boldly sing together have not accepted that individualism is the option God intended. People who can boldly sing together have not accepted that the lure to individualism is what God's really wanted. So when we gather, one of our desires is to counter 
this almost magnetic pull to self and be a part of something different, bigger. Because when we gather to talk, to sing, we do it from a larger place, a broader place, a perspective of years and years and years. One of the things that I've had the privilege of doing in my years of being in ministries is being in a lot of different countries at a lot of church services. Now, I know, and I joke about this, but this is truth. Some of you are like, Dale, your, this service has lasted an hour and 15 minutes. I got somewhere to be. Brothers, sisters, they're just warming up in most countries at an hour and 15 minutes. So let's just hang in there. But I've been to church services in Russia and Latvia and Romania and Mexico and the Philippines and Rwanda, a lot of different spaces. And they all sing. I'm telling you, when Lisa and I got to go to Russia, just a few years after it became open and free, where they once had to gather in secrecy and hiding from people from the KGB, literally, and if they were too loud, people would come. And we sat in this church service where they were now free. And the KGB were there. And they were like, you can't do anything anymore. I had no idea what they were singing because it was all in Russian. But man, those people sang. Why? Because they knew what it was like to be oppressed. And now they know what it's like to be free. And they sang. As we come together, some of you know what it feels like to be oppressed because you have gone through that before. You need to hear the voices of others who know what it's like to be free and sing. The gathering of God's people, the gathering of the church is to celebrate not democracy in itself, not just nationalism, but freedom in God of who he is. The result of that is this. My voice and your voice becomes one voice. Right? Are you with me at all? You're like, we've heard this. No, you haven't. Maybe you have. I was talking to Lisa. Lisa and I very rarely talk about the messages too much because I want her to come. But I'm like, I think I'm doing something on why we sing. And she's like, huh. I'm like, I've never given a talk on why we sing. I give a talk about other things all the time. But why? Does church feel like to you some kind of stance to take ever? No, we come to learn and grow and all the right things. We come to worship. We come to be with friends. But in a real way, is this like the world at all? Meaning, when's the last time you were in a coffee shop and you're like, excuse me, hey everyone, let's sing a song together? Probably never. Right? I mean, if you're like a, a big soccer fan, you may go to the soccer stadium and sing songs with people. Like that's what they do in the World Cup or Premier League or whatever. Why do they do that? To have one voice in support of their team. We are here together. To make a stand for like no matter how bad this world can be is how good this God can be. And we come to make a stand. 
we come to align ourselves. When I was in junior high, somebody had this idea that they wanted to make a our band out of our students. I went to a really small Christian school. My parents thought that would be best for me. There's a lot to that story. There was eight kids in my class, one teacher and like three aides. I think I had all three aides. I just was curious. And now I became a pastor. That's the best part of it all. So this person wanted to start a band, not one of the kids, I got an adult. I think she said orchestra. We didn't understand the assignment, right? So she's like, go home, choose whatever instrument you already play or want to play. Bring it back Monday. We'll just let the Lord work this out in miraculous ways and we'll have a band. I think it was a Monday we all came back and there's eight kids in my class. We had three flutes, two electric guitars, a clarinet, I think, a tuba, and I came with my brother's trombone, which I'd never played before. But we had one, and I was on the way out, and I forgot. And so I went back in and grabbed my brother's trombone. So our band consisted of flutes, electric guitars, a tuba, a trombone, and a clarinetish kind of thing. We were a train wreck. <laughs> and the goal was like, we were going to play at the eighth grade graduation. <laughs> I'm like, we should probably play like an hour before people come, and we can technically check that off. I don't remember a lot about this band, but what I remember is this. We were supposed to play whatever song we were playing in the same tempo together. No matter how bad we sounded, the goal was at least we would sound bad together. Because when you're doing something together, not everybody gets to like determine what the tempo is. You may try, but there was a lot of this. Dale, stop blowing the horn. Just pretend. Just do this. No one will ever know. So that's what I did. I remember our teacher having her baton and tapping to keep us together. There are sometimes we would finish the song at the same time, and I'm like, dear Lord, we are rocking today. There's something about tempo together. Many of you live lives at different paces, right? Some of you are living life fast. You're busy. You're doing so many things all week long. Some of you live in life a little bit slower, just pace a little bit slower. But when we come together as a church, the tempo should be the same, at least for a few minutes where we sing about something the world does not sing about, that we sing in the midst of no matter how hard life is, we sing for the one who is holy to make a difference, to make a change. In a good way, our leader was aligning us to submit to something, to submit to something. For some of you, I say the word submit and you cringe. But all it is is like I'm aligning myself to the tempo of everybody else. There's over 10,000 minutes in a week. And for 30 of them, we come together and sing. 
For the rest of the time, this guy's talking up there. But for 30 minutes of it, we sing. For 30 minutes, as a body of believers, we align ourselves together to him. It shouldn't matter what it is. It's that we sing. Some of you love it. Some of you are the kind of people like, I have a karaoke machine in the back of my car ready to break out into song at any time. Some of you are like, Dale, this is the most horrifying thing ever. Do I have to sing out loud? To those who love to sing, sing. To those who don't want to sing yet, listen and know that you're invited. Let me end with a reference to one more psalm. Psalm chapter 8. It starts with this beautiful, this poet, this music writer, this blues singer, if you will, of the Bible, writing some things about God. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Just pause for that a sec. He starts with this reflective of God's holiness. He's saying that the whole earth, as you look out, is full of his glory, and as you look up, is full of his glory. There's reasons to sing. There's reasons to glorify, no matter where you are. The poet continues. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. This is the God we sing to. This is, let's just think about this for a sec. Who, according to the poet, is God using to oppose the devil? Children and infants. Children and infants. He uses the simple, the young, to stop the enemy. Though God is all-powerful, he has chosen to use the youngest and weakest of all of his creation, the weakest of humanity, to silence his enemy. That's all he needs. He doesn't need perfection. He doesn't need strength. He just needs availability. When I consider your heavens, the poet continues, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set... In place, this play of words using human characteristics of fingers. But he holds us back to the vastness of the universe and who God is. He's like, no matter how you are in the moment, there's something bigger. And then he asks these kinds of questions. What is mankind? Like, who are we that you're mindful of us? Human beings, that you care for them. He starts with this majesty of the heavens and around the earth. He goes to like even the simplest of humanity is what you're using. And then we're like, who am I? Am I just something that came, I'm just something that came from dust and I'm going to return to dust one day. And then he ends with this. You have made them, these dust people, a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. 
you put everything under their feet. My friends, listen. God has given us an assignment. Now, God's given an assignment for you, and he's gifted you, and sends you out. But God has given us an assignment. And at the very simplicity, if he can do it with children and infants, he's like, part of your assignment is that when you come together, come together and sing to be aligned for me. You've given us assignments. We are to tend to and take care of things. And when we gather, some things that can happen when we're aligned with him and each other. Imagine. Stay with me here. Almost done. Imagine. Think about your life. Think about the things in our community. Think about the most hurtful, damaging, the anger, the, man, the things that are just so bad in our world. If we on a weekly basis, can come together and figure out how to sing together. Just think about how much more we can do together. If we can't figure out how to sing, like sing, if we can't figure that out, we've got a lot of other problems to figure out, my friends. But if we can, if we can figure out how to do this one thing together towards God. What else can we do together? Here's what I've discovered to be true. We gather to intentionally and consistently remind each other that in our mortal, made-from-dust, fragile bodies, we can still proclaim and insist on really big things that we believe are true. I think I need to go to a Pentecostal church. Let's do it again. <laughs> we, maybe you didn't understand it. Here we go. Why we get together, one of the things, and why we sing is so that we as people who are just like made from dust and dirt, get together. When we sing that even though the world we live in does not say there is a God, we can get together and say, I believe for something different. I believe for something bigger. I believe that no matter how hard this world can get, my God is greater. That, oh, now, where am I? My friends, I'm not just doing a cheerleader thing. Woo, okay. But what I am saying is that is why we sing. That. To make a stand or a sit. But to say, I believe for something different. There is no doubt in my mind if you're anybody aware of the news, there was a man who collapsed on the football field on Monday night and had a heart attack, and he died. And his life was resuscitated and then brought to the hospital, and he died again, and then he was resuscitated. And th the nation stopped and prayed. 
How many times, if you paid attention, it was like, pray for him, pray for him, pray for him. My friend, who I've never met, but he's my friend because he's on ESPN, so I feel like he's my friend, on national TV stopped and said, I'm going to pray in the middle of NFL today or whatever, and prayed. Because people believe for something more. Now the doubters will say, oh, it'll just go away. And I say, who cares? For this week, we saw a miracle. And we saw this man, and they kept saying, he's recovering so fast. And I say, praise the Lord. So friends, what else do we want to believe for? What else do we want to stand for and go, I believe for something more, and that is why I sing. Father, we praise, 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 praise your name. Holy are you, Father. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, our strength. It is good for my soul to stand up for that which is right and good with you today as we sing the holiness of God together. So thanks for being here together. I'll sing with you for the rest of my days and a lot more after that or whatever. God moved me today. God's back in the house for a lot of us. Let's do this well together. God bless you. God keep you. God pray and empower my friends as they go out this week. Remind them of all that is good and right in you. In your name. Amen. <laughs>